welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to You Serve Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today, on the fourth anniversary of the start of the genocidal campaign against the Rohingya people that began in 2017, we're going to discuss the ongoing situation there and the various policy responses to date and explore other options going forward. In our 2021 annual report released in the spring, USERF recommended that the State Department again designate Burma as a country of particular concern, or CPC, for engaging in systematic, ongoing, and egregious violations of religious freedom, particularly against Rohingya Muslims. This year, the situation has only further deteriorated, unfortunately. On February 1st, the military, known as the Tatmadaw, launched a coup installing the ruling military junta led by senior general Min on line. Six months later, on August 1st, General Line declared himself prime minister until at least 2023. The coup has increased concerns regarding ongoing violence against the Rohingya people and other religious minority communities. The U.S. government continues to investigate into whether a genocide and crimes against humanity have been committed by the Burmese military against the Rohingya people. Yusuf has urged a swift determination. We're fortunate today to have with us Yusuf Chair Nadine Mayenza to go deeper on these issues. She led a Yusuf delegation to Burma most recently in 2009 and also visited Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh, where hundreds of thousands of Rohingya people live to this day in refugee camps without knowing when and if they may be able to return to their homeland. Welcome, Chair Mayenza. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be able to be with you today. Well, thank you. And as you well know, Yusuf has been reporting on conditions in Burma for 20 years now and have been recommending Burma for designation as a CPC since 2000. So it's not uh, not just recent. Uh, right. Can you give our listeners a sense of the longstanding concerns USERF has had? And then more recently, what started uh, on August 25th, 2017, four years ago today? Um, yes, as you mentioned, USERF has been concerned about religious freedom conditions since 2000, when it first recommended that the State Department designate Burma as a CPC. Burma is a diverse tapestry of different ethnic and religious communities, and unfortunately, since independence, the Burmese military, or the Tatmada, has chosen to exploit tensions among those communities to control the country instead of embracing and celebrating its diversity. Christians make up a minority of the population, around 6%, but are either the majority or the significant percentage of several ethnic groups, such as the Chen, the Karen, and the Kachen. These communities have faced varying degrees of religious freedom violations from state and non-state actors, including attacks and destruction of houses of worship, displacement, and violence. Yusuf has also been very concerned about violations against the Muslim-majority Rohingya community, which amounts to just over 4% of the total population. The government in Burma has effectively institutionalized discrimination against Rohingya Muslims and proclaimed that the Rohingyas are not citizens of their birthplace or homeland of Burma. And during decades of state-sanctioned violence, this community has been baselessly portrayed by the Burmese government as terrorists and foreigners. So on August 25th, 2017, the Burmese military, uh, under the leadership of, of General Ong Min Line, launched this genocidal campaign against the Rohingyas and other Muslims in the Rakhine state. I heard the harrowing stories myself from survivors, eyewitnesses when I visited Cox's Bazaar. 
And, you know, they told me the stories of how Rohingya villages were all targeted on the same night in the Rakhine state, how straw was put on their houses, they were set on fire. You know, men were, were killed indiscriminately. The women were mass raped, crimes against children um, and elderly and disabled stuck inside these homes. And I was told that the villages were immediately raised, raised eliminating any proof of even their existence. The United Nations Independent Investigation Mechanism for Myanmar documented these instances of Burmese military units being involved in, in, they said, killings of civilians, mass rape, arbitrary detentions. And according to the UN High Commissioner for Refugees, more than 740,000 refugees that were Rohingyas fled to camps in Bangladesh, while another 120,000 are displaced internally in Burma. So here we are four years later, and most of these victims remain displaced, and most are in Cox's Bazaar in Bangladesh. So when I was able to visit these camps, I spent time with different groups. I had spent time with women, with children. I visited some of the schools where, unfortunately, they're only allowed a couple of hours of instructions if they get any at all, um, which is, is unfortunate. They really do des deserve education. And I, I was able to meet with young people and hear, you know, their their thoughts and in what would they want to go back. And one of the most impactful meetings I had was with a group of imams who shared, really wept as they shared about how their families in the mosques were targeted first, how their mosques were defiled, how their families um, were, were targeted for violence. And, you know, this was all at the hands of the military. It was absolutely heartbreaking. In, in December of 2020, many refugees from Cox's Bazaar were relocated to the Basan Char Island, which has raised alarms in the international community. Um, as the UN has noted, it is a potentially unsafe location that's prone to cyclones and flooding. And in addition to these refugees in Bangladesh, over 100,000 Rohingya refugees have sought asylum in Malaysia, um, a few hundred in Thailand and a few hundred in Indonesia. Last summer, Rohingya refugees sought asylum through Southeast Asia by fleeing on boats in the Andaman Sea. And each year, there are untold numbers perish from disease and hunger in these floating coffins. You know, there are two important legal cases that aim to provide accountability for these 2017 atrocities. And it's really important um, that we understand what's going on in these, these cases. In November, 2019, the Gambia initiated a case at the International Court of Justice against Burma, claiming the country had violated the Genocide Convention in its 2017 crackdown on the Rohingya. The International Criminal Court, the ICC, also launched an investigation into the military's actions in Rakhine. Yusuf has been following these cases and recommending to the U.S. government that it assist in efforts such as these to document and bring accountability to atrocities committed against the Rohingya by the Burmese military um, and the state. Well, thanks for that background. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, to compound the uh, problem of the government's treatment of the Rohingya people and others, um, as you well know, the military carried out a coup in February. Uh, can you tell us a little about what happened and what kind of response we've seen uh, to date from the U.S. government and international community? Sure. I think it's important first to, to consider looking back at November 8th, 2020, where when Burma held its second semi-democratic elections. So they're called semi-democratic for a couple of reasons, such being that the Rohingya were prevented from participating due to that 1982 citizenship law. And the National League for Democracy, the NNL, NLD, won 346 seats in the legislature, more than the 322 needed to form a government without representation from the military-backed opposition. So as a result of this crushing defeat, the military-backed opposition immediately began a campaign of disinformation 
on consistently disproved allegations of election fraud. Um, while independent observers have dismissed these claims, nonetheless, the military-backed opposition's rhetoric was a foundation for the military to intervene. The international response, of course, has been swift to condemn the overthrow of the semi-democratic experiment of the last decade, in particular, the violence that this caused. So the U.S. government responded by releasing a number of new sanctions against those in the military, Yanta, and associated with the coup. This has been a part of an, an effort to financially cut off the Tatmada from its international assets and the global economy. Regionally, there has been an, an initial emphasis on a solution through the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, or ASEAN. But on April um, 24th, 2025, ASEAN heads of state met with general men online and agreed to a five-point consensus, which included ending the violence and, and sending a special envoy from ASEAN to facilitate dialogue and meet all the parties concerned. Now, this effort was supported by China at a meeting between the regional bloc and China in Shanghai on June 6th through the 8th. So observers, of course, are skeptical of this top-down approach favored by ASEAN, and some indicating that ASEAN's design impair its ability to address crises such as military coups, since Brunei, Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and Vietnam are all led by authoritarian or military leaders. The various organs and actors in the UN have also risen the alarm, but it should be noted that the Tatmada has somewhat strong bilateral relations with two key members of the UN Security Council, Russia and China, the latter of whom has already recognized the Tatmada as a legitimate government and have continued their economic projects in the country. Yeah, sounds uh, extremely complicated in terms of trying to, to get some of this accountability. You know, while the answer may be obvious in the months following a coup uh, that, that occurred, uh, can you share with us if religious freedom conditions have actually worsened in general and in particular for the Rohingya? And if so, in, in what ways? Yeah, the answer is absolutely yes. Um, conditions for all in Burma have deteriorated considerably. The military want Janta and it has ushered in this era with chaos, death, destruction. Um, in the Tatmadaw's violence has disrupted the country's ability to confront COVID-19, causing Burma to potentially become what the United Nations has warned is a super spreader state. Violence against ethno-religious minorities has also escalated. We've seen numerous reports of houses of worships being attacked by the military with, with faithful being killed in those attacks. For example, at the start of the coup in February 27, 2021, the Tatmadaw raided the Hakka Baptist Church in the capital of Chin State, arresting the pastor. The soldiers allegedly used water cannons to dispel the thousands of worshipers who were gathered at the church. On April 15th, at the beginning of Ramadan, the Tatmada stormed a mosque in Mandalay's Maha Ang Milay, killing 28-year-old Kohet, who was sleeping inside. Attacks like these have escalated and all faith communities are at risk of violence. It's hard to confirm exactly how many Rohingya are, how they're doing since the unrepresented community is even more disconnected due to the conflict. However, what we've heard is deeply concerning. We have seen reports that, attempt, that many have attempted to flee by sea, um, especially from camps in Bangladesh. We've also heard that Satatmada are preventing Rohingya access to COVID vaccinations, which further is leaving this community vulnerable. Well, speaking of everything that's going inside the country, uh, what has been the response to the escalating violence uh, from everyday Burmese citizens uh, that you're aware of and, and non-military leaders in, in government and civil society to this uh, since the coup has happened? 
Well, the Tamadaw were quick to arrest several prominent officials and leaders, including leader Aung San Suu Kyi. Many have been tried and convicted on trumped up charges. Um, however, many opposition figures, predominantly from the National League for Democracy, have been involved in setting up the National Unity Government, or NUG. Um, this has attempted to be the coordinating shadow government to counter the Tamadaw and its military yanta. It has yet to prove that it can unite the various ethnic armed forces and political groups or to genuinely commit to a future Burma that is inclusive and accountable. It has pledged to repeal the 1982 citizenship law that has effectively proclaimed that Rohingya are not citizens of their birthplace and homeland. And this is a really positive step as we hadn't seen um, the other communities being advocates at all for the Rohingyas in the past. So, you know, most in the majority communities have ignored their plight. So to see them stand up um, and make a case that, that the Rohingyas have a right, and in some cases even apologize for not being a part is a really positive step. Um, and so it's important that this new accountable, this government, um, you know, is able to hold the military accountable for their atrocities. And we've um, also seen momentum in recognizing the atrocities within uh, all parts of Burma. The coup has sparked solidarity and throughout the regional grassroots tea, milk tea alliance movement, social media activists within Burma have tweeted displays of solidarity, called for justice for Rohingya through the hashtag um, Black for Rohingya, which may um, be evidence domestic perceptions of them is changing, which is is important for a, you know a future Burma that will be cohesive. Yeah, let's hope that that keeps the momentum going there. That's some very positive as far as opposition uh, coordination and mobilization. Earlier, you touched on some of the U.S. government response to date since the coup. But can you tell us in a little more detail about uh, what USERF specifically recommends the U.S. government should be doing moving forward, specifically related to the Rohingya uh, population and the broader religious freedom situation in the country? Sure, the, the US government has been quick to sanction the military yanta and those connected with the yanta. And it should be noted that none of these sanctions though have listed religious freedom violations as a justification, despite us continuing that they do so. These sanctions have also not been in coordination with regional partners like Singapore or Japan, and that would make them far more effective. The US has also released funding um, to support Rohingya refugee communities, which, which we do support. The US though must do more to aid the Rohingyas and break that cycle of impunity that is bold in the military to take over the government. To this aim, we have also consistently recommended that the US government make a legal determination on whether the atrocities committed against the Rohingya constitute genocide. We are hopeful that will be forthcoming. In May, USERF held a hearing on U.S. genocide determination and next steps where we highlighted the U.S. government has yet to make this determination about these crimes that it's seen if they meet the definition of genocide or crimes against humanity under international law, despite an intensive investigation into the crimes that occurred. It is vital to make a genocide determination to begin to restore the dignity of the Rohingya people. A genocide determination by the U.S. government could also galvanize international support for the ongoing legal cases at the ICJ and the ICC. In addition, as I mentioned previously, the U.S. should actively support these ICC and ICJ efforts to hold Burmese officials accountable. At USERS follow-up hearing on Indian genocide, accountability for perpetrators in July 2021, witnesses stressed the need for crimes against humanity statute to enable prosecution of those international crimes domestically, which would provide an additional avenue to accountability and to demonstrate the U.S.'s commitment to ending impunity for these crimes. A crucial initial step for working with the international community should be President Biden's administration making its determination on genocide and crimes against humanity. USERF 
leadership understands and welcomes the administration's commitment to fully investigate before making a determination, but time at this point is of the essence. On August 25th, we marked the fourth anniversary since Atatmadat escalated its attack on Rohingya and sent hundreds of thousands of Rohingya fleeing across the region. We must not wait another year before the U.S. commits itself to partnering with the world to achieve accountability and justice. And we'll have to leave it right here. I want to thank Chair Nadine Manza for taking the time to join us today and sharing her insights uh, about developments in Burma on this sobering four-year anniversary since the Burmese government and military initiated its genocidal campaign against the Rohingya people. To learn more about USERF's reporting on Burma and our latest policy recommendations, please visit our website at www.uscirf.gov. As always, Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERV Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F dot gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.